Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. I got some, some of my homies coming out here right now. I want you to meet these guys if you haven't. So why, why do I have these guys out here? This is for our final announcement. So at this church, we believe in leadership development. We've talked about it a lot. We've done some things, but really it's time for us to put our money where our mouth is. And we are going to invest in the next generation of church leaders. And that's what you see in front of you. Coincidentally, there are four guys because there are four weeks of Advent. And these young men have already been putting in the time. And they are going to be bringing our Advent sermons over the next four weeks. They have been working hard. Uh, Danny Mack and I have been coming alongside them in their sermon study, and their sermon writing. Um, they're pretty nervous about this. And that's a good sign. All right? But they are putting in the work. So here's what I want us to do. Uh, Nelson's going to be up today. But I'm going to have a salt. If you all just stand with me really quickly. It's one thing to read the Bible, it's one thing to study the Bible, but then it's another thing to get on stage and, and teach the Bible. And even specifically, I mean, these guys are 24, 25, 26 years old, so they're going to be teaching to people uh, who, who've read the Bible a lot longer than them. They know this, but they're going to be faithful uh, to, to teach God's Word. So we're going to pray for them. Um, if, you're, if, if you're comfortable doing this, I would, I would ask if you just reach out your hand toward these guys. If you're not, that's okay. But we're just going to pray over these men that the Spirit uh, would just be with them in their study and in their delivery. Uh, so let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you that you are still working and calling people to you and to your service and to build your kingdom. God, please don't ever stop bringing 24, 25, 26-year-olds to this church. God, we want to be faithful and investing in them. Right now, Lord, we're asking that you uh, will be with these men. Be with them in their preparation. Lord, be with, be, with, be with Nelson. May he feel your presence. May your spirit be with him as he is going to be teaching today, God. And the other three, Trey and Trey and Jarrell, I pray, Lord, that, that they will feel your nearness in their preparation. And then, God, when it's their time up here, that you... God will just give them a peace that passes all understanding. Use them to teach your word to your people. God, we're asking for your spirit's anointing. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Advent. God, give us hope as we long for the day when you will make all things new. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah, you guys can grab a seat. So Advent, that's what we're talking about. So we're kicking off this week. Um, like Brad said, my name is Aaron Nelson. I am the salt director here at Hill City. And I love my job a lot. It's the best. Um, but yeah, we're talking Advent. And Advent was an interesting thing for me to get to speak about first because I actually have to set it up. And before Hill City, I actually didn't spend a lot of time thinking about Advent. It's only been about two and a half, three years where Advent has become a normal rhythm in my life. Growing up, my family didn't spend a whole lot of time considering Advent. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about Christmas itself, 
But the season leading up to Christmas, we didn't talk about our church. You know, maybe we lit some candles instead we celebrated Advent. But I didn't feel like we ever spent a lot of time like diving into the meaning of Advent. And so as I've been learning about Advent, here's something I have learned. It's really important. Um, I'm really thankful for the season of learning about Advent because I didn't realize how much I was missing out on how grand the season of Advent is. And what it can do for our souls if we really spend time considering the things of Advent. And so... Here's the meaning of Advent if you haven't spent much time in Advent. It's kind of dual meaning. The word Advent means the arrival or the coming. The arrival or the coming. And here's what we do during Advent. Is we get to empathize and step into the shoes of those who awaited the arrival of the Messiah. Right? On Christmas Day. But the other part of it we do is we wait for the returning of King Jesus. He's arrived initially, and now we stay in wait for his return. And so here's what I want to answer before we dive into the actual topic is, why do we celebrate Advent? Like, what is the actual purpose behind celebrating Advent? In my studies, I've kind of come down to three of them. There are a lot more reasons to celebrate Advent than these three things. But here are the three that stuck out to me the most. One, Advent reminds us we are not at the center of Christmas. The people in here, the people around the world are not the center of Christmas. Christmas has become so commercialized, right? Buying the gifts, getting the trees, like all of that stuff has become a very commercialized holiday and it's about family and like hanging out together, which none of those things are bad. I want to make sure I say that very clearly. Please hang out with your family. Please do Christmas together. But Advent orients our hearts towards why we actually celebrate Christmas. It orients our hearts away from Santa and wreaths and presents, and it reorients our heart towards God's greater purpose of history and why we celebrate Christmas. It reminds us we are not the center of Christmas. Second, Advent reminds us of the generations before us that longed for the Messiah to arrive. They longed for the Messiah to arrive. We have had the initial arrival of Jesus and we wait for the return, but they awaited the arrival. They were promised a Messiah from God in Scripture throughout all of the Old Testament and they waited for the coming one. And we have forgotten what it's like to wait in that sense. And so for us, Advent is a time we get to spend alongside the generations before us who waited. And we get to stand alongside them and wait with them for these four weeks. It reminds us of the generations that longed for the Messiah to come. And thirdly, Advent connects us to centuries of Christian tradition. Centuries of Christian tradition. Advent used to be a huge part of the Christian liturgical calendar. Like it was a widely celebrated thing. Spent a lot of time on it. And, and I love this quote that C.S. Lewis has, this, this uh, phrase that he's coined. It's called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery, it's this idea of 
later generations looking back at the earlier generations and saying, we have this figured out way more than they had it figured out. We're smarter, they're naive and ignorant. It's chronological snobbery. But here's what I think the reality is, is we are naive and ignorant ourselves to blindly disregard a practice that has been so fruitful for so many centuries of Christians before us. They thought Advent was important. They gave it time, so should we. It connects us to centuries of Christian tradition and also connects us to the bigger C church. Like there are hopefully thousands of churches around the world partaking this tradition together right now as well. And it connects us as a whole. So what will Advent look like for Hill City Church specifically? Like Brad said, we're going to spend the next four weeks on Advent leading up to Christmas Eve. And what we try to do this year is connect our Advent series actually to Christmas Eve. We don't want them necessarily separated. We want Advent to lead up to Christmas Eve. And so we're going to go through this, this series titled, I Am. I Am. And throughout the series, we're going to take a deep dive into the names Jesus declared upon himself in the New Testament. He, he would say, I am, and then there would be a blank. That's what we're going to do. I am blank. And that's what we're going to follow along in the next four weeks. What were these statements he has made about himself? And in light of Advent, how are we pointed towards the arrival and the return of Jesus? So what are we getting out of Advent? The, the teaching team um, and, and everyone who's, who's teaching over the next four weeks got together and we were trying to talk like, what are we really trying to have Hill City Church as a whole ourselves come away with during this time? And it was this. We want to live a life that is in response to the arrival of the Messiah. We don't want to live and just think like conceptually about the arrival of Jesus. We don't want to just think about it intellectually. We want our lives to be in response to the arrival of the Messiah. If our souls don't respond as if hope, joy, peace, and love are true, then we are missing out on the goodness of who Jesus is, of what he provides. So, we're going to talk about hope today. If you're, if you're a note taker, that's like the big thing you make all pretty at the top of your notes is hope. That's what we're specifically talking about today. Before we hop in, let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this season. May we continue to grasp the greater meaning of Advent. May we continue to sit and long for your arrival, just like the generations before us have, but may we also sit in anticipation of your return. May that be true of us. May you speak through the four of us over the next four weeks. May we learn, may the, the people of Hill City grow to know you more and know what it means to be in relationship with you. And may we ultimately be pointed to the one true king, Jesus. It's your name I pray. Amen. So hope. That's what we're talking about. Here's the reality. We all hope. Like it is a part of who we are. The term, I hope that, is used all the time for small things. Remember when I was a kid? I hope that it doesn't rain today before my football game. 
We hope for small things. We hope for big things. Right? I hope that I get this job. I hope that I have a loving and good family. We hope for day-to-day things. I hope the kids sleep through the night. Like we hope. It's what we do. We find certain things and pray that they're fulfilled. And I believe our ability to hope is actually one of the greatest things about us as humans. Like we can hope. We have the capacity to hope. We have the ability to take an optimistic view of what could be. What a blessing. But I also believe our ability to hope can be our greatest downfall and lead us to some of the deepest despair. Why? Because we live in a world full of grief, in a broken world, a world where pain, hurt, and sadness exist. Let me, let me uh, brighten up your day. Modern day, some of the grief that we're experiencing. Guys, we have just went through and currently still in a pandemic where 5.2 million people have died. It's grief. This morning, 3.8 billion people will wake up, hop on social media, and be told they're not enough. Hopeless. From now until Christmas, 31,000 children will learn that mom and dad don't love each other anymore. Grief. And ever since Adam and Eve were sent out of that garden, we have lived with grief. Job in Job 3.5, he's talking about his birth. Right, and listen to the grief that he's talking about the day he was born with. He says, let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. What a way to celebrate your birthday. You hear the grief and despair. And here's the reality. Many of us can empathize deeply with Job. We have felt levels of depth like that. We have experienced grief in ways that we can't even vocalize. Why? Because we live in a world where hopelessness and darkness prevail. And so what do we do? We seek hope. And for generations, people have been seeking hope. We're not the first. We didn't invent seeking hope. It's been happening since we flash back to the Old Testament. You know, we go to Genesis 1 and 2, and they had hope fulfilled. Right? Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve were with God, and God was with them. They had everything they could possibly hope for. They were in the presence of God himself. But then in Genesis 3, we have the fall. And this is where despair starts to enter. Hopelessness starts to enter. In Genesis 4, we see Cain and Abel. Cain falls on his face because God had no regard for his offering. And out of despair, he murders his brother. Hopelessness. But here's what God does throughout the Old Testament is he gives hope. He points towards hope. He points 
towards the future of what's going to be. And he does it throughout the Old Testament. He does it all over it. We're only going to hit a few today. The first one we're going to hit is Isaiah 9-2. Isaiah 9-2, if you read through the Advent devotional we're doing over Advent season, you have already read this, but Isaiah 9-2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So here he's, he's talking about the Israelites. Right? The, the Israelites, the people he has chosen to fulfill his purpose through. And this is being written to them to give them hope for the future. Hope in the midst of their darkness. And as I was reading this, I was thinking, how does this give hope? Like it's in the past tense. Like this has already happened. But we find out later in this exact same chapter that it's actually about the future. This chapter talks about the child to come, that child being Jesus. So what we see in chapter 9, we hear about this child to come. So then I'm thinking, why, why is he using words like walked and dwelt in the past tense? Here's what I learned. This, this, I loved learning about this. You see, back in that time, it was a really common literary tool to use past tense to communicate certainty. To use past tense to communicate certainty. Talking about something to come, but so sure that it's going to happen that you've, you communicate it as if it's already happened. That is how confident he is in this hope to come. So we take that same verse and we translate it to present tense. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light will shine. Now we see the hope for the future. The hope for the people of even though you currently walk in despair, in darkness, hope is on the way. And then the question would be, okay, he's talking about the Israelites here. How about everyone else? I'm, I don't know of any other Israelites in this room. But here's, here's also the reality. Yes, the Israelites were his people at this time. But if you follow Jesus, you are one of his people. We've got to remember that. You are one of his people. But at this time, we have to remember, God reveals himself over time. Throughout the Bible, he reveals himself. And so the readers of Isaiah wouldn't have a complete view of the Messiah to come. So Isaiah, make sure to clarify this later in chapter 49, the prophecy of what God said to the Messiah. So this is the Messiah hearing from God. God says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. So he's like, yes, I'm going to raise up my people, the Israelites. They are going to be raised up, but I will make you, this is the Messiah, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He says light again. You see the common theme that's coming about in all these light. Keep hearing this terminology. This Messiah to come is going to be a light to the nations, not just to the Israelites. It's for all people. This Messiah is going to be the salvation of the world. And so we see this foundational hope for a Messiah laid down throughout all of the Old Testament. 
just laying the foundation of this Messiah to come. And we end in Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. And we got silence. And so what do the people do? They wait. With great anticipation, they wait. But also, with great assurance, they wait for this ultimate hope of the nations, the Messiah, to come. I think something that has been really important for me as I have been studying this is feeling the weight of their waiting. Like the gravity of these people who weren't hearing from God for hundreds of years after the Old Testament. Like imagine that type of waiting. For me, it's like the type of waiting I would think you would do, you do in the hospital. We're just waiting in that hospital room. You're waiting to find out the news. You're hoping for the best news, but is it here yet? And you just wait and wait and wait. It's torturous at times. And then we get to Matthew and the Messiah arrives. A child named Jesus, and we have the whole Christmas story, and Jesus' ministry starts, and Jesus also starts telling people who he is. And so we've transitioned now. This is a great transition. Instead of hearing other people, the people of the Old Testament, talk about the, who the Messiah is going to be, now we hear the Messiah talking about who he is. And we come into John 8, 12. If you're also reading along, that's what you read yesterday. John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them, them being a crowd of people, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Have this light word back again. This is Jesus' second I am statement in the book of John. So he's communicating who he is here. And biblically speaking, this phrase light, this term light, was associated with the presence of God. Genesis 1, we fly back to Genesis 1-3. It said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. So we have the light that is good over here and darkness over here. God is good. God is light. He's associated with light. We go to Exodus 3. God reveals himself to Moses through a flame. And there's other examples of the way God shows himself as light. But for these people who would have been reading this in John, they would have understood that God was associated with light. And so that means what Jesus says here takes on a whole new level of importance. For him to say, I am the light of the world, what is he saying? I am God. I am the light of the world. Here's what I want to be careful not to do. I want to make sure that 
we understand that light would have been understood as truth and goodness. Light itself is not exactly a reference to hope. Right? It, 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 what light does is it is pure. It's good. It illuminates truth. So Jesus here is saying, I am the true light. And so Jesus is the truth. The true Messiah, the true Redeemer, the true Savior, the one we've been waiting for in the Old Testament. So if light is truth, then what does the truth of Jesus do? We go down a few verses in chapter 8 of John. And we learn that the truth will set you free. The truth sets you free. So, how do we get to hope? You know what gives someone trapped hope? The possibility of freedom. The truth of Jesus is what sets us free and gives us hope. He is the light. He is the truth. And that's where our hope is found, is in the way in life of Jesus. With hope, we so often place our hope in things apart from Jesus. Things to allow us to hope, things that we can see an outcome, we hope for this. Paul David Tripp, I love this quote he has. He says, you attach your security, your sense of peace and rest to something every day. Every day. Whether that's money, success, relationships, security, family, recognition, we all attach our hope to something every single day when we wake up. Paul David Tripp goes on. He says, the question isn't whether you hope. It's where do you place your hope? Hear that difference. We all hope. The determining thing is where do we place our hope? Where does your hope rest? And Paul brings us a stark reminder, an important reminder in Ephesians 2.12. He's talking about how the, the, the Gentiles here have been separated from Christ in the past. Right? They've been away from God and they're strangers to the covenant promises that have been made. And during that time, they have been away from his presence. And it says that they had no hope and were without God in the world. Without God, they had no hope in the world. But now, with Christ, who you were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's pointing the, the, the Gentiles here away from circumcision and towards Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. The, the Gentile, I mean the, the Israelites have been trying to, the Jews have been trying to push the Gentiles towards circumcision as the way the, to, to come close to Jesus. To be drawn to Jesus. And Paul here is writing them and says, no, your hope isn't in circumcision. Your hope isn't by, in anything else in this life. Your hope is in the blood of Jesus. Period. There is no hope in this world outside of Jesus. 
So again, I ask the question, where are we placing our hope? I want that to be a question we reflect on. For me, I have felt a ton of conviction as I've prepared for today because I've realized some of the ways in which I've placed hope in my life in the wrong areas. For me, my number one, I'm just going to confess right now, is I put a lot of hope in my friendships. I put a lot of hope in the people I surround myself with and how they can give me peace and how they can give me rest. But here's the thing about when we place our hope in things of this world is they need an outcome for the hope to be met. Like there's a res- there needs to be a result of our hope. So for me with my friends, if I put my hope in my people in my life and then they don't live up to the result I'm expecting, where am I left? Hopelessness. Darkness, possibly despair. Hope in the world, when we hope in the world, there has to be a result. But here's what I love. With the hope of Jesus, the outcome has already been met. There's no need for more results. Your hope doesn't lie in the result of something to come because it's already been accomplished. It's been accomplished. Blood's already been poured out. Hope in the world can be shaken very quickly, but hope in Jesus cannot be shaken. That's what biblical hope is. Hope in Jesus allows us to know we aren't just blindly optimistic about something. Hope in Jesus helps us to know we belong in an unshakable kingdom. That no matter that what's happening on the surface, no matter what's happening on the exterior, that we as followers of Jesus have a hope that as First Peter would say is imperishable, undefilable, and unfading. That is the hope that we hold on to. There's, there's two truths about hope. If you haven't taken anything else away from today, here are the two things I want you to walk away with. First, I want you to know, to understand is that no matter where Jesus goes, hope goes as well. Where Jesus goes, hope goes. They're not separated. Jesus is It's been the truth from the beginning. Where Jesus goes, hope goes. And if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. the Spirit of Jesus. So therefore, you have hope residing in you. In the depths of your soul. Think of the areas in your life where you've experienced despair, In the past, currently, we've experienced hopelessness, darkness. And here's here's the thing about darkness. Is it's one one of evil's tactics is to get us to a place of despair. A place where we feel like there is absolutely no hope for us. Satan's found a playground when he sees us in despair. He wants all hope removed. 
He looks at each of our family situations, no matter how broken the family dynamic says it is. He looks and evil says there is no hope there. There's no hope of reconciliation. There's no hope of redemption. He looks at the areas of sin in each of our lives. The addictions, the greed, the untamed tongues, the gossip. And he tells us about our sin. There's no hope for you. His grace is distant. You can't do enough to earn it. Give up. Give in to despair. But where Jesus goes, hope goes. No matter the level of despair or darkness we feel like we're in. And here's, I want to make sure you're not hearing what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you have hope, therefore you shouldn't ever feel desperate. Feel heartbroken. Because we have reasons to feel those things. Like we have reasons to be in anguish and to feel grief over our broken world and our broken relationships, our broken bodies and our broken desires. That's not what I'm asking. Here's what I'm asking. Can we hold grief and hope simultaneously? Like, may, our, may we actually be able to grieve because, be able to grieve because we have hope? Like, we have hope for this broken world, and we know what God can do to redeem it. Here's the fear, though, is there's people in this room who they're allowing their grief to tell them that there is no hope. There's no hope for you. That's what grief can tell you if you let it get to the point of despair. That's what evil is trying to do in his tactics. And the ask is, can we hold on to the hope of what's already been accomplished? The hope of Jesus can endure anyone's grief. And that is the battle that we wage war against evil with, is to fight for hope over despair. Where Jesus goes, hope goes. And this hope is what propels us. Right? This hope doesn't allow us to stay stagnant. It moves us to action. And here's what we have to know about hope. If you're in this room and you follow Jesus, you have hope. So, we have to remember, we have hope so that we may provide hope. That hope is not just meant for me to hang on to and enjoy myself. We have hopes that we can provide those around us with hope. We go to Matthew 5.14. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to a crowd of people and his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that it may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
So, where you go, Jesus goes, and you take the light of the world with you everywhere you go. That same light that Jesus talks about here is the light that has been instilled in us as followers of Jesus. I thought of a Sunday school song I sang all the time as I was preparing this, talking about light so much. I don't know if any of my third and fifth graders in here still sing this song anymore, but I know my older people do. This little light of mine, yeah, I'm going to let it shine. Thought about singing it, decided not to. Just quote it. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. That is a concept for many of us that has been instilled in us since the beginning of being around the church. I know that's true for me. I think often evil is able to push us towards despair, to where even that simple truth we grew up with isn't always the outcome. I know for me personally that's true. There's plenty of times I haven't let my light shine. But can we be people and strive to be people who provide hope in the midst of darkness? Can we start in Springfield? Like there's a lot of people in Springfield who need the hope of Jesus so badly. A couple weeks ago, I was up in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. I took a bunch of our salt company leaders up for a vision trip to see a church plant. And we got to hear from a couple who had already planted a church there and has been there for somewhere from seven to ten years. And their name was Tito and Molly. Something about Ann Arbor to know, also for you Ohio State fans in here, I'm sorry to be bringing up Ann Arbor right now. Um, but Ann Arbor is a dark, dark city. Like the, the majority of the nation, 30% of people claim to not have any sort of religion. In Ann Arbor, 70% of people claim to have absolutely no sort of religion. And I'm not even just talking Christianity. Like the city of Ann Arbor is dark. Someone asked the question to Tito and Molly, how do you love this city? And as I listened to their answer, and it was such a simple answer, but it took on a new concept for me as I was preparing for this, and it brought me to a conclusion. They said, in response to how do you love the city, they said, we just go to the same restaurants, and we get the same servers, and we love them. We go to the same coffee shops. We find the same baristas, and we love them. We see people in our community and get together with them consistently, and we love them. Such a simple idea. But as I reflected on that statement, I realized the habit I fall into in Springfield specifically. Is that when I go to restaurants, when I go to coffee shops, even sometimes when I meet up with someone, I'm looking for the ways in which they can serve me. 
But how powerful can it be for someone from Hill City to show up with a restaurant with the idea of like, how can I serve this server? How can I be a light? How can I show hope to this server? If you've ever served, you know what it's like to have a day of despair in serving. It can be real miserable. And when I was serving, I had people who would absolutely brighten my day up by saying two or three small things. It would give me a sense of hope. What if the people of Hill City carried that sense of hope with us all the time? What if we were able to be the light in this city in simple ways first? Hopefully the people around us, hopefully the people around Hill City, around this community, look at the people of this church as the people who have hope. Like the way we live our lives just screams hope. There's something weird about them. They're going through this horrible situation and yet they still are able to show up. And they might not be happy, but there's something different about their sadness. Their situation isn't putting them in the depths of despair. Why is that? Because they have the hope of Jesus. In light of Advent season, may we live lives in response to hope. Like, may our hope be very clearly seen. And over the next four weeks, and hopefully past that even, can we as a church hang our hats on the hope that is Jesus, not on the hope that the world tells us to hold on to, but the hope that is Jesus, the unshakable kingdom that we belong to. And may we do it in awaiting his return, to know there's hope that yes, he has already come, but there's also hope that we can talk about in past tense, just like he did in Isaiah, like it's already happened. The hope that he's coming back. He's going to redeem this world and redeem each and every one of those people who say, I want that hope. I choose that hope. Let me pray.